From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Wednesday, June 20th, 2018, uh, under humid, cloudy skies, a couple days after the U.S. Open and in the thick of the College World Series, where our friend and colleague, Mr. Sean Davison, was. That's why this podcast did not come out on Monday. We welcome Sean and now back home in the... Nice confines of hot, steamy Florida. How was Omaha? Well, first of all, I was going to say hot and humid. I wasn't sure if you're describing New Jersey or down here in Orlando, <laughs> but I think the answer to both could be yes. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I- I've heard so much about Omaha and the spectacle that is the College World Series and how that entire community comes out and supports the eight teams that are talented and in some ways fortunate enough to end up there. And it's something that I hope to be able to be a part of for many more years to come. It's been so much fun. Uh, The folks in Nebraska are such classy folks. I mean, just the consummate hosts. And they have done everything above and beyond to make that such a successful event from a logistical standpoint, from a venue standpoint. I, I mean... TD Ameritrade is one of the most beautiful stadiums I've been in for any sport. And it's situated just perfectly right across from the CenturyLink Center where, you know, every four years they've got the Olympic swim trials that are happening during the World Series. They've got a string of hotels that go straight up from there, and on the other side of the hotels are a bunch of restaurants and bars. It's really a great setting, a great scene, and you get people from all over the place. I was not the only one wearing FSU stuff. There was a bunch of people wearing LSU stuff. There's a bunch of people wearing Nebraska stuff, Oregon stuff. It's just a great way to celebrate baseball at arguably its purest level. And it really is such a fun time. And I'd recommend it to anybody who loves sports and in particular loves baseball. Uh, as we are now in the thick of the College World Series, who, uh, who, who looked the best in person? Well, let's back up. Going into the World Series itself, after going through regionals and super regionals, who was your pick, and who was the best team you saw while in Omaha? Going into the regionals, uh, when, to me, I thought Florida just sort of had some injury issues against Mississippi State, and they would work their way through them. Uh, J.J. Schwartz, their catcher, who's now playing first base for him as he reenters the lineup, I just thought that it was a little bump a little bump in the road, a little blip on the radar for Florida, and that they would get themselves back together. And surely, I mean, to me, honestly, the Florida Gators have had the most talented roster, not just over the past couple of years, but arguably the past five or six. So going into the actual NCAA tournament, I still like Florida. But there's something about teams that just seem to be getting hot at the right time and can still just mash the ball all over the yard. And then you've got two on that Florida side of the bracket in Omaha, in Texas Tech, and in Arkansas. Arkansas just beat Texas Tech today to be the 2-0 team that only has to win one more game to get to the World Series Finals. Texas Tech hung six on Florida and sent Florida straight to the loser's bracket. So it was kind of a surprise out of the gates, but Florida didn't look like Florida. Texas Tech jumped all over them, but Arkansas looks like the team to me that has been the most impressive. Mississippi State, on the other half of the bracket, seems to have these kids of destiny kind of vibes around them. 
and I saw where it began. I was in Tallahassee working that regional when Elijah McNamee hit the no-doubter off the left-field wall, and uh, or at the left-field scoreboard in Tallahassee. They were down to their final out, their final strike, and uh, they were held almost hitless all game long. They'd already lost their first game to Oklahoma by a score of 20-10 to 10 in a four-and-a-half-hour baseball game. And it just it, it just seemed like Mississippi State was out. They extend their time in Tallahassee. They win the regional. They walk off against Vanderbilt in the Super Regional. They go to extras in Game 3, get their way through Vandy, and now they're in the winner's bracket, and they're one win away from the World Series Finals in Omaha. It, it's absurd the kind of run that Mississippi State is on without a tenured head coach, mind you. Three games into the season, they lost their head coach. So Mississippi State is just making things happen, and they've got this vibe that they're just not going to be stopped. And, you know, maybe they're like the Auburn of 2013 in football, who, oh, by the way, got stopped by Florida State and Pasadena. But they've just got that vibe uh, that they're just not going to lose, that they're getting hot at the right time. But Arkansas, to me, is the team that really deserves a lot of the conversation because they've been a really good team all year long. They manhandled Florida in the SEC tournament. They've rolled all the way into Omaha, and they're rolling through Omaha right now. If I had to bet money on a team right now, it would be Arkansas. Interesting. We shall see how this shakes out as the College World Series uh, continues. One thing that's interesting, um, just to, to finish up on the College World Series, is that that old ballpark, I forget what the name of it is, um, but what... what? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Rosenblatt. Yeah, thank you. Was basically like a, a I don't know if, if Augusta National is the right quality, but it had this like mystique to it. Um, and the thing when you have to build new stadiums uh, for modern, uh, sorry, modern amenity reasons, uh, the Yankees, for example, have gone through this, and we've seen the Red Sox and Cubs choose to add to Wrigley and Fenway instead of building new ones. Um, is that you can sometimes lose some of that mystique. Do you think the mystique of the College World Series has successfully transferred from the old park to the new? I do. I do, as a matter of fact. And the cool thing about what they did when they when they demolished Rosenblatt and then they built Ameritrade, Ameritrade suits the needs of the World Series today better. It's bigger. It's more modern. You know, it allows for more people to come in. It's closer to all the places that people stay and where they want to go so they can get food. It's just much more convenient from a logistical standpoint. But what they did is they were able to get, like, rows of seats out of Rosenblatt, and there are museums. And even at the zoo, they have, like, a little mini Rosenblatt set up in the parking lot, and they actually have, I believe, the seats from Rosenblatt sort of set up in there. So there's still, like, a homage that is paid in the Omaha area to Rosenblatt. And, and I will say this, too. An interesting thing about that is the way TD Ameritrade is set up, uh, from the infield to the outfield, is actually the direct opposite of the way Rosenblatt was. So if you've noticed, especially not not just this year, where, oh, by the way, there have been a few more home runs over the past couple of days, but typically you don't see that many home runs at the World Series, not to mention... You know, it's 405 feet out to the center field wall, or the center field wall. But in addition to that, the way it's situated, the wind blows in from the outfield. So you've got to absolutely nuke one to get it out at TD Ameritrade. So 
just so you've got that as a frame of reference, if you see somebody hit a home run at Ameritrade, they got everything and then some out of that swing. Interesting. Talking to Sean Davidson here about the College World Series, and now the United States Open Championship won by Brooks Kepka. Um, who knew he hurt his rib two weeks ago in Memphis? Uh, <laughs> I mean, here's a guy who, who suffered a, a mysterious wrist injury late last year, had a, a you know wasn't able to play the Masters, could barely get through Kapalua, didn't play for a while. Comes back, had shown good form when he came back, but I don't think anybody had him on on the radar and what Frank Nablo said Sean was, was so enlightening he likes to hit a fade out of a closed stance a lot of people the the golfers who listen to this will know that you hit a fade normally with an open stance so if you're a left-handed golfer like myself you will aim to the right to hit a right to left shot reverse obviously for lefties um, Brooks does it the opposite way and once Claude Harmon got him back online and fixed his alignment, a five-minute fix, he started puring it, and that's when he uttered the line that I, that, that, uh, sorry, that's when he uttered the line that, that you heard Joe Buck and others say all weekend, which is, you know, I'm the most confident guy here, and I think I'm going to win. And lo and behold, he does it. it, it it's a remarkable job to win on that kind of a venue that was playing that tough, and to do it. When you've been hurt, you are hurt, and you don't feel comfortable with your swing coming in. He's a tough guy. You know, anybody who anybody who muscles his way onto the PGA Tour through Europe, the way he did when the conventional route would have been Web.com, you know, mentally tough. And Stevie Williams, years ago, when he was asked about guys who are up and coming or guys who have caught his eye, he mentioned that Brooks Kepka on the range, the way he strikes the ball is somebody to keep an eye on. He's somebody that, you know, in years past when I was on your show and talking about him, I think I really started singing his praises uh, right around U.S. Open 2014 time at Pinehurst, and then lo and behold, he finished in the top four there. That was the first time he really announced himself, you know, on a big stage, and from there he got his conditional membership, won in 2015, uh, and then we were off to the races with Brooks Kepka. But he's, he's mentally tough, and he has the ability to just, he does things to the golf ball that very few people can do, the way he compresses it with the irons. And he's got every reason to be confident, assuming that, you know, he knows where the ball is going. And for guys like that, a quick five-minute fix when you're at the top of your profession is all you need. And he's shown time and time again since he's come back, the 63, it was, or I believe it was, at TPC, finished second in Dallas, I mean, he's shown time and time again that he's able, he was on the leaderboard at Memphis for a little bit, um, and, and then next thing you know, on a totally different type of U.S. Open venue than Aaron Hills, where he, it's more traditional, you have to grind it out, kind of venue where Aaron Hills is a birdie fest, uh, he was able to get the job done. And now, with Kepka healthy, winning another major, he's playing in Travelers this week, we'll see if he can keep this going, because he's only won three PGA Tour events. One was at Phoenix, and two were, well, two good ones to win the U.S. Open the last couple of years. We'll see what this does for Kepka, and I think for him, and the way he's striking the ball, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't carry more confidence into the next few weeks, into the next few months, and maybe he can become a more consistent winner out there 
I've always jokingly said he's the young American golfer that kind of gets overshadowed by the likes of Spieth and Fowler and, and the rest. It's becoming harder and harder to get him or, or to overshadow him now. He's won two majors in the last two years. He's legit. Um, and the thing is, everybody talks about his his ball striking. It was the up and uh, down for the, sorry the up up and down for bogey on eleven that great bogey putt he made the up and down on twelve the up and down on fourteen and the wedge on seventeen I'm uh, sorry sixteen those four things none of which included his driver won him the golf tournament it was a really f- complete game impressive display on Sunday and the putting for Kepka really at times has been what's held him back. And he's really been putting the ball much better, especially, of course, in the U.S. Open. But to talk about some of the shots he was able to hit around the greens as well, you know, I'm going to actually go back and point to that time he spent in Europe where, you know, you've got howling winds and different undulations and whatnot, where it just sort of lends itself to playing more creative shots around greens. And, you know, you really have to think things out and grind things out a little bit more based on some of the lies you can find yourself in. Probably the best thing that could have happened for him. You know, there's lies that he probably has seen over there that your run-of-the-mill tour pro might not have ever encountered. So, I mean, there's just predicaments that he might be more familiar with or more apt to deal with than most simply based on what he saw in his time traveling the entire world trying to make his money, make his living, and and make a name for himself. So, you know, all of it... I. To see it come together for him the way it has, again, the injury was unfortunate. He was playing really, really well. He won the Dunlop Phoenix. He finished second in the WGC out there in Asia. And then the next thing you know, he finishes dead last in Tiger's event in the Bahamas, dead last in Kapalua, and then he took that time off. Um, It was really unfortunate because it seemed like he got things going before that injury happened. And now we get to see if he can keep things going with this latest U.S. Open victory. But... You know, the time he spent in Europe, I think, if you were to ask him, he would probably say were probably some of the years best spent in his career and probably the best decision he ever made. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy how those decisions, you know, thinking you may have done the wrong thing or or, 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 or even not if, if, if he thinks it, but just, you know, people say that you did the wrong thing can actually, you know, prove to be the right move as time goes on. Um I want to talk about uh, Tommy Fleetwood because here's a guy who's been trending in the right direction for a while, and lo and behold, he goes out and shoots 63 on a round that could have been so much better. He had makeable putts at 16, 17, 18 that he missed. Sean, he to me is is Terrell Hatton from a couple years ago, uh, the same way Danny Willett propped up on uh, uh, sorry popped up on some leaderboards. Uh, he obviously won the Masters, but that's turned out to be more of a fluke than anything else. But Terrell Hatton has gave himself a nice run here. And Tommy Fleetwood's continued to do it, and over a really long period of time as well. It's been over a year that Tommy's been trending in the right direction. A really fine player and a really good person, Tommy Fleetwood. A really popular guy out there, not just with his fellow tour pros, but also with the fans. Uh, he's somebody that... I saw his wife who had tweeted about how, you know, she always, she loves Tommy as his wife and she's also his manager, but I think she said it made her emotional seeing how the U.S. Open crowds embraced him and and cheered him on there that Sunday. 
he's a guy that's winning a lot of people over, and he's doing things his way. You know, he, he's he's the number one player out there on the European tour. He's balancing time in Europe and in the States, and, and he's doing a great job playing some really great golf, and he's done it for a long time. I know you typically like to ask at the end of the show who my pick is to win the Open Championship or the PGA whenever they're coming up. I'm just going to go ahead and give it to you right now. I think Tommy Fleetwood wins the Open Championship. You have ruined my end of the show. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it's a, it's a good you're pick. You're going to have to go back to the World Series. <laughs> I know. It's a good pick. I, I, I was uh, thinking the same thing, actually, uh, to be per- perfectly honest, while sitting here. I thought it's going to turn out to be a mighty fine pick for... Uh, Carnoustie, especially if he keeps striking the ball the way that he is and hitting all those fairways and greens. What must have been running through your head? Uh, you know, people who listen to this show know that, that Sean has become uh, uh, very friendly um, at tournaments with Justine Reed and, and, and the Reed clan. Uh, what what must have gone through your head when you saw Patrick Birdie for the last five? Because I, I about on like the seventh hole, I thought he, I said he was my pick to win the whole darn thing. He looked like that Patrick Reed, man on a mission, nothing's going to stop me guy. It was great to see. I, I mean, he's starting to figure it out. It took him a while yeah. for me to figure out how to contend in majors. And look at what he's done in the last three. Finished second at Quail Hollow won the Masters, and now finished in the top four, ran out of steam right around the turn, missed that two-or-so-foot so, two so putt at nine, which kind of derailed his efforts at Shinnecock. But, you know, then he finishes fourth at Shinnecock. He's not going to be a half-bad pick at this point in time to contend or maybe factor into the equation of the Open Championship the way he's playing. But he's just a guy that it, he's playing with such confidence, and I think winning the Masters, where he spent so much of his life there in the Augusta area really gave him that last shot of confidence. You know, you try to get on tour. You try to make your way out there. You try to maintain your living out there. You try to win a tournament. Once you win one, you try to win two. Then there's that next echelon. He's won the WGC. He's played on the Ryder Cup teams. I mean, he's worked his way up. Now he's won the major. And of all the majors, he's won arguably the most prestigious of them all, winning the Masters. So, I mean, as his confidence has grown and as we all, and I'll jokingly say this because of that interview that he gave at Doral, he's not really been short on confidence from the very beginning. And frankly, when you've got to earn your way on tour through Monday qualifiers and you do it, I mean, I can't blame him for being confident in the first place. Um, professionally, in any profession, you've got to have a certain amount of confidence to succeed. Um, it's just sort of grown. And the success that he has achieved can only help. And he's not afraid of the big moments. He's represented the United States here and abroad. He's won a major now. He knows what it feels like. Uh, when he's got people like Jordan Spieth lighting up Augusta and Ricky Fowler making a charge and the crowd is getting behind them and he's still found a way to get the job done at Augusta. I mean, all of those things, all of those things make you a better competitor down the stretch in big-time golf tournaments. And sure, he ran out of steam right around the turn, but it's great for me to see Patrick Reed plays so well because I think he's a guy that slowly but surely more and more people are coming around and giving a fair chance and he's a good guy he really is and I think the more and more people realize you know regardless of what some of the mistakes were that he might have made back in college and regardless of what some of the stories are about his relationship with his family um, he's a good guy a really great person Justine is awesome Kessler is great uh, 
they're, they're really a great group. And I think slowly but surely people are coming around on them. And, you know, you could hear the cheers and people were getting fired up that Captain America was playing so well. And I was getting fired up, too. He looked like he was on a mission, ran out of steam at the turn, but still a great week for him up at Shinnecock. Up to 11th in the world right now, Patrick Reed is. All right, we got to go there. What's your thoughts on the Phil Mickelson debacle? Eh, he lost his cool. He had a John Danley moment, and uh, he hit a moving ball. I mean... Let me tell you this. Going into the weekend, he hit something like 28 fairways. If you tell me that Phil Mickelson's going to hit 26 or 28 fairways or something like that going into the weekend, I'm telling you he's going to be somewhere up high on the leaderboard. Because that's always been the missing piece. That's what lost him the 2006 U.S. Open. You know, I would have thought for sure lefty is going to be somewhere in the top five, at least the top ten. He was in the mid-30s. You know, in hindsight, had he shot a two underscore on on Saturday and he's five over going into Sunday, guess where he's at? He's two off the lead. And it just, the putter, the putter just wasn't there. He's been one of the better putters all year on tour. And uh, it really never showed up at Shinnecock. And I think for him to know that he was striking the ball as well as he was and getting literally nothing out of it, I think he just snapped, and I saw that he made an announcement or he released an announcement a few a few days late or after the initial, yeah, you need to tough yeah. it up, it's not big of a deal, admitting as such. And you know what? To a certain degree, sure, as a purist of the game, you never want to see something like that. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are deeply morally offended by it because it disrespects the game. But as somebody who's gone out there and had plenty of tough days, and Phil is the ultimate in... The everyday guy, he joked about how that business professional, nobody does the middle-aged, slightly chubby look better than him, so that's why he was wearing the button-downs. He's just a relatable dude, and in a weird way, the fact that he lost his cool and hit a moving ball because he was just tired of it makes him even more relatable to the everyday human being that goes out there and hacks around a golf course, because that's kind of what it turned into for him on the greens. Um, give it time, it'll blow over. I think it's just... The recency of it and the magnitude of it and the fact that, you know, he is who he is made it such a big storyline as well as his initial remarks after the round was over. But I think in due time, Phil will be fine. Fans will be fine. It will be fine. And uh, we'll be talking about something else for sure. I thought he should have been DQ'd. He admitted intent uh, in the press conference after. Um, So it's... uh, It's... um, I, I thought he should have been disqualified. I think he should have withdrawn um, even after the USGA chose not to disqualify him. Um, it's sad what happened. Um, it's I called it, I believe, deplorable on Twitter. I, I stand by that statement. Um, I don't know if I'm a, a purist or just somebody who just didn't like his attitude with it. He 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 snapped and. That's the downside of, of snapping is sometimes you do things and say things that, that you uh, don't like later. What I will say, and, and don't, you know, obviously I, I don't mean this literally, but you and I have played this game long enough to know that golf gods exist, uh, that, that, that weird things happen in this game, and you wonder, and, and this I mean completely seriously, it's the one thing he hasn't done left in the game. What are you doing chancing the U.S. Open golf gods by doing such a 
uh, horrible act like that. It just it it didn't make sense to. I, I get it. It's a moment of frustration. He snapped, but the way he reacted after. If you want to stay on the good side of the golf gods, what are you doing, <laughs> Phil? Especially when you got Pebble Beach coming up next year too, and we all know how well he's played at the AT yep, and T. Yeah, and into the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach the last time, but Graham McDowell was the one who came away with the trophy. Yeah. You know, I, I get it. I get it. And, and he made it all the more worse on himself when he said that he just didn't feel like hitting the ball from around the bunker or he thought that, you know, taking the two-stroke penalty. In hindsight, I'm not even sure he really truly believed that or thought that. I think it was just some way of thinking, oh, my gosh, what did I just do? You know, I, I don't know, Phil. I'm not going to put words in his mouth. But if I had to guess, it was one of those, what did I just do? There's cameras all over the place. At this point in time, he's gone to scoring. He's able to look at his phone. His phone's probably blown up. And it's like, I've got to say something. And in his attempt to limit the damage, he said something that made it look even worse. Um, so if that, if that truly is the case, and disclaimer, it may not be the case. Maybe he truly thought that way, and he was speaking the truth the whole time. And, you know, in which case, then, yeah, sure, he absolutely in seeking out an advantage, should have been disqualified. Um, I just don't believe that. I just believe he lost his cool, and then he tried to cover it up. And then a few days later said, yeah, you know what? I tried to cover it up, and I tried to make it look a whole lot better. In reality, I lost my cool. I'm sorry. You know? Um, he made it look a whole lot worse. Um, but still, one of the most popular players out there. You know, it, it's going to hurt his image a little bit. But I don't necessarily see sponsors jumping off the ship. I don't see a whole bunch of fans jumping off the ship. And, uh, you know, he surely will not do that again. And I think that's the most important thing. So I think uh, I think there is something positive from it, too, especially for young players that might look up to Phil that saw that and didn't like the look of it. You know, don't do what he did. So it's, uh, in a weird way, it, it might work out for the best. But right now it's just... It was a no good, very bad, horrible situation, and we'll see how it plays out. I think it'll be okay, though. Yeah, um, he he needs to do something good. I I, I think th- this is one of the th- this is one of those things in golf that dogs you for a while if you don't make amends. And I think this is obviously a good first step. And if he continues on that path, he'll be good. But if not, and keeps giving those odd fill answers, that's obviously not going to do him any good. I don't know, Sean, how much you saw. We're talking to Sean Davison here on Teeing It Up. Um, I'm not sure how much you got to see of Saturday, uh, considering you were in Omaha at the College World Series. Did you get to see any of the carnage that was Saturday at the U.S. Open? Very little. Okay. So I I will... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was out, and I was trying to stream something on my phone at, uh, at TD Ameritrade. But, yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right on the fact that I was sitting there trying to watch. I was up there for opening day. The Oregon State-UNC baseball game went four and a half hours for a nine-inning baseball game. Brutal. Nice. Um, but I was trying to stream as much as I possibly could. It, I just didn't get to see much. I heard yeah. that they were losing control of some of the greens, though. Yeah. Um, so, I, so, so instead of asking you specifics and, and making you talk in circles, that's unfair to you, obviously, are, are you somebody who likes carnage once a year, or, or or do you like seeing guys be able to go low? I like to see guys, 
if carnage happens, carnage happens. But I like to see them tested to the utmost extent. You know, you're the best players in the world, and if at least once a year to see you tested to your breaking point, or I guess in some cases beyond your breaking point, you know, I, I want to see you have to grind it out, and I want to see par protected once a year, myself. Now, that having been said, you know, without having seen some of the whole locations, I believe it was, what, 13, 15, and 18 that yeah. took the brunt of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, on Saturday? Without having seen them directly, I saw a couple of the putts on 18 where there was 20-foot putts for birdie and then 20-foot putts for par. Yeah, that was not uh, good. Uh, if they were, if there truly were unfair pin locations, then yeah, that's a mistake. You know, I want I want par to be protected, but I don't want it to be downright unfair to the best players in the world. You know, and that's and that's where I'm at. I like to see them tested. I do not like to see them just I don't know railroaded and just plowed by this impossible hole location, you know, and I think Patrick Reed said as much, that the course wasn't awful, that they didn't lose the course, it was just a couple of pin locations, maybe a yard or two too close to edges or or ridges or or whatever it was, and that they could have been a little bit more generous on a couple of hole locations that were particularly tough, but for the most part, the course held up well. Um, You know, those are little mistakes that they arguably shouldn't have made, you know, the USGA has been there before. They had problems with Shinnecock back in 04. You would have thought they would have been particularly careful this year so that history wouldn't repeat itself. Um, and I guess from what I heard, it did happen again. Yeah, the winds gusted more than they thought and, of course, got too dried out for where they put the pins. as simple as that. Wait, it's gusty out there by the Atlantic coast? Yeah, what? just a wee bit as we talk to Sean Davidson here on Teeing It Up. Is there anything else you want to say about the U.S. Open? Uh, well, from a Florida State perspective, it was good to see my other guy, Daniel Berger, out there playing in the final group. And, you know, you and I have said this time and time again, you have to you have to lose one to figure out how to win one. Yep. And I've seen guys not come away with the trophy and play a whole lot worse than Berger did. He had a very short birdie putt on one, missed it, and that sort of, to me, set the tone for his round. You know, it's just going to be one of those kind of days. But he hung in there and played respectably well. Came away with, I believe, a a solid top ten finish in a major championship. And and you know what? He didn't shoot 78. He didn't shoot 79. He didn't shoot 82. He hung in there. And that was encouraging to see. He's another guy with a lot of promise. Another one of those class of 2011 kids. Um, We'll see him. Time and time again, I wouldn't be surprised to see him contend or win once or twice on PGA Tour the remainder of the season. Great to see Xander Shoutley contend again in a major, again put himself on the leaderboard. I like that kid a lot. If he makes himself, if he gets inside the top eight or doesn't and earns a, a Ryder Cup pick, I think he'd be a great pick for the team at this point because he's so consistent and he has won a couple of times. Uh, I really like him and. Uh, I like seeing those young Americans play well. Saw a couple of them on the leaderboard at the U.S. Open, and that was really great to see. Um, and and the other thing about Berger too is is he's somebody who's trending in the right direction, and that's always good to see um, as 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 well when somebody is trending in the right direction. Sean, thank you as always for coming on teeing it up with Jeremy Schilling. Thank you, Jeremy. Always a pleasure. We'll talk after the open. You got it. Enjoy, everybody.